This is your lucky day because Pastor Chris is finishing up snow camp with uh, Tim, and you get me today, huh? Yes. Yes, exalt Jill. Exalt her this morning. That was really vain of me to act like that, so I'm sorry. Um, as we were discussing this particular Sunday, being without Chris, our directors were talking, and we, we were noticing, you know, obviously it's the first Sunday of 2013, and we thought, what better way than for us to change up the way our service usually is and truly reflect on w- both congregationally and personally on the Lord and where we're at and where he is taking us in our personal, individual lives and also as a church. How many of you have heard of this acronym when you pray or do your Bible study of the Acts? Okay, yes, I am familiar with the two. And I don't know about you, but um, I, I get distracted. I have a really hard time with prayer. I have to really have a focus. And this acronym really helps me. So if you've never tried it before, I would suggest you try it in your prayer life. Um, Adoration begins with adoring God, confessing to God, then thanking him, and then supplication, asking him. So throughout the service today, we are going to weave teaching and scripture with singing. And so if you are new to our church, this isn't the usual, regular the way we do things, so come back next week, because you need to meet our pastor anyway. So, uh, But let me begin. Um, my part today is to talk about adoration. And this felt like a very natural one for me to take on, because uh, in its original Latin text, adoration means worship. Uh, it is the act of paying honor as to a divine being, worship. I'd like you to consider for a moment how you, in your own uniqueness, your own makeup, pay honor. How do you pay honor? What does it look like? Close your eyes for a moment. Close your eyes. Picture it in your mind. Imagine you paying honor to someone you are fervently devoted to. What does that look like? What does your heart feel? And how do you demonstrate what your heart is feeling toward this person, this someone who you are fervently devoted to? What does it sound like? I can guarantee you that not two of us are alike in the way that we pay honor because God created unique individuals. The one thing we all have in common is we were created in his image. You can open your eyes when you're ready. For years growing up, I was often told that I let my imagination get away from me. Imagine that. How many of you have been told that? It's just your imagination. It was just my imagination. Okay, I don't know why I went there, but uh, I was often told that. I I heard two things all the time growing up, especially from my mom. Jill, stop letting your imagination get the better of you. Stop imagining things, or that was just your imagination. I heard that all the time. A few years ago, 
I saw through God's word that he gave me imagination. Even though most of the time growing up when someone referred to my imagination, it was negative. I learned that the imagination is actually a huge aspect of grasping God and his greatness. In fact, who can read the scripture without your imagination kicking in? How can you get anything out of it without your imagination? Your imagination is just a picture, a picture in your mind when you read something or when you sing a song and the lyrics pop up on the screen, picturing it, picturing those lyrics in your mind, letting your imagination take hold. In fact, without using our imagination, it is quite difficult, and I would submit impossible, to worship, to adore God. And so I want to share a few scriptures with you. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up. We'll be using them throughout the service today. If you do not have a Bible, we have some in the back, and we would love for you to take one um, home with you today. So please feel free to do that on your way out. We're going to begin with First Chronicles 16, and it says this, Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice and let them say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. How can the imagination not be involved? And for you to grasp anything about that verse, was the imagination involved in writing it? Absolutely. God is an imaginative God, and you are created in his image. Therefore, you have imagination. I want to see the trees of the forest sing for joy. I want to see the fields exult, the sea roar in praise to God. And yet me, created in his image, I want to do better than any of that. I want to roar louder, exalt higher, clap my hands louder, sing out more, because I am created in the image of God, and he created me to do that. Let's look at the next scripture, Psalm 22, verse 27. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. Psalm 29, verses 1 and 2. Now, as we are reading these, see if your imagination kicks in. Allow your imagination to kick in. All the earth worships you. Oops, I'm sorry, I skipped one. Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Imagine bringing your strength into your worship of God. Your strength. Psalm 66, verse 4. All the earth worships you and sings praises to you. They sing praises to your name. And then finally, let's read this one together from Psalm 95. With your imaginations along for the ride... Read it out loud with me. Oh, come, let us worship 
and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker, for he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Now, I'd like all of you to take your hand. Hold it out. Two fingers up. Kids, if you've been to kids' church here at ECC, you're going to recognize this. Everyone do this sign language with me. Holler it out if you know what it means. It's okay, kids. You can holler in here. What does this mean? Do you remember what it means when we do this? Worship. I heard it. Worship. Yes. Worship. Why? Why is this called worship? Or if we're thinking of the original Latin, we're thinking also adoration. What are we doing, everyone? Kneeling. Bowing. Imagine yourselves acting this out with your entire body. You see, when we adore God, when we worship him, we get down low. I get down low in my attitude, in my attention, in my humbling of myself, in my heart, in my mind, often with our bodies. God requires us to get down low. And why? So he can be lifted up. We must get down low so that he can be lifted up. We are now going to adore him. As we sing together, carry your name. As we sing this song, I encourage you to release, release your imagination. Imagine the lyrics as they show up on the screen and as they proceed out of your mouth. See them happening. See you doing this. Common lyric in this song is carry your name. What does that look like for you to carry Jesus' name? What does that look like for me, Jill Erickson, to carry his name? Get down low so that he can be lifted up. Adore him. Worship him. We're all going to stand. We're going to start out standing. And we do this because that's an act of honor to our God. So let's stand. But as we proceed... Throughout the song, in your own individual, unique worship experience with God, as your imagination is kicking in, if he calls you to kneel, if he calls you to sit, if he calls you to bow down, to get down low, don't let the other people in this room stop you. Don't let you stop you from entering fully into the adoration, the worship of God. And for this meditation, I'm gonna, I'd like to compare two, um, two men. Um, you're probably familiar with their stories, so I'm not going to share too much, but I just want to give you a picture of the differences between them. Now, they were both created for a keen purpose, both called by God out of humble circumstances to do really great things to positions of high power. Um, they were both admired by the masses and really given counsel by the wisest people in the land. Um, and in their positions of power, they both royally messed up. Uh, they sinned intentionally, <clears throat> and though they knew the right, they chose the wrong. The first man is King Saul. Uh, he was the first king of Israel, and he was the one that was asked or chosen by God to really set the bar in terms of how a king of Israel should behave, how they should act, how they should be God's representative. 
Um, so we started off very humbly um, it, it, with, with, with really no pride. He was actually afraid to actually go to his coronation. Um, he started off strong with a great military mind, and he quickly gained success for Israel. He really um, protected them from a lot of their enemies. But in 1 Samuel 13, we start to see that crack in his character. We start to see where pride got the best of him. Um, you're probably familiar, so I'm just going to share it real quickly. But Saul uh, was, was waiting for Samuel, the wise man of the land, to come and to offer a sacrifice before they battled the Philistines. And Saul waited and waited, and Samuel didn't come. And so Saul decided to take into his hands the sacrifice. Uh, Saul was from the tribe of Benjamin, and the Levites, the tribe of Levi, were the only people that were allowed to make the sacrifice. And so when Samuel came and saw what Saul, saw what Saul had done, and he confronted him, Saul very quickly justified his behavior and really kind of dismissed it as really being a problem. And so he actually, the, the text says that he was compelled to offer the sacrifice and he justified his sin. And then just a couple chapters later in 1 Samuel 15, we kind of see this same song, second verse, different opportunity. Uh, Saul is, again, doing the wrong, though he knew the right. He was, he was told by God to completely wipe out the Amalekites. And instead of completely wiping them out, he mostly wiped them out, but kept back their king and kept back a few of the choice cattle and, and sheep to offer as a sacrifice to God. And again, when Samuel comes to confront him on this behavior, he very quickly justifies it. And I'm going to read kind of the interaction between Samuel the wise man and Saul the king in just a second here, but I just want to warn you, it's from the message version of the scriptures, and usually we don't read that in, in the service, but I, I wanted to use this today. Number one, I think it helps us to kind of peek our ears if it's a story that we're familiar with. It's good to read, read it in a different version, but also because the emphasis is on just kind of this dialogue, dialogue um, and the nature of Saul defending himself. So let's, let's read from 1 Samuel 15. Saul defended himself. What are you talking about? I did obey God. I did the job God set for me. I brought in King Agag and destroyed the Amalekites under the terms of the holy band. So the soldiers saved back a few choice sheep and cattle from the holy band for sacrifice to God at Gilgal. What's wrong with that? Then Samuel said, Do you think all God wants are sacrifices, empty rituals just for show? He wants you to listen to him. Plain listening is the thing, not staging a lavish religious production. Because you said no to God's command, he says no to your kingship. Powerful. Now, the scripture says that after that, Samuel went away from Saul and he never saw him again. And that Saul was tormented by an evil spirit. Now let's turn to the other man, uh, King David. He was the second king of Israel. He should have learned probably from his predecessor, and in some ways I think he did. But he also started off humbly and with a great military mind, but he also royally messed up. Many of us are familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. He was overcome by his temptation to take for himself a married woman and then have her husband killed um, and try to cover it up. This is serious sin, willful, intentional sin. Um, don't make any mistakes. He knew what he was doing. So the two kings of Israel, Saul and David, both used their positions of power for themselves to take what was not theirs to take. But the contrast between the two, and this is what I want to focus on today, is how they responded to confrontation. When Saul was confronted by Samuel, he quickly justified it, excused it, uh, even denied that it was sin. But when David was confronted by the wise man of the time, Nathan the prophet, you see a different story. You see a different kind of response. He grieves over his sin. He prayed over his sin. He actually called it sin um, and, and confessed. In 2 Samuel 12, 13, David says to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. It's out there. He said it. 
Psalm 32 is considered a psalm of David, and, and it's called of David. We don't know if it was written by David or about David, but historically it's, it's connected to this, um, historically people connect it to the time of David and Bathsheba and his response to God um, for his sin. It's a psalm of penitence or a, sin of, a psalm of reorientation where you start kind of one way and you end up the other. So I want to see if you can kind of listen for this change of heart in the psalm. I'm just going to read the first seven verses. Blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord does not count against them, and in whose spirit is no deceit. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the guilt of my sin. Therefore, let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. Surely the rising of the mighty waters will not reach them. You are my hiding place. You will protect me from trouble and surround me with songs of deliverance. I don't know about you, but I can relate to that psalm. I recognize myself. I recognize my sinful nature in those words, but I also recognize the relief that you can really sense as David works through the process. Uh, as the old hymn says, I am prone to wander. Anyone else? Uh, sin is a part of the human experience. Sinning is a part of our human nature. We see that covering up and hiding and kind of pretending that it wasn't sin has been with us since the Garden of Eden. Remember Adam and Eve and the whole apple and serpent and he did it, she did it? Uh, it's blaming and passing, up, passing the buck from our sin is really what comes second nature to us. But God wants us to have liberation. So I want to look back to Psalm 32 and some of the benefits of confession and, and the liberation that it brings. Psalm 32, some of the glimmers of conf- uh, the benefits are that we regain our strength. We're no longer sapped as in the heat of summer. We don't waste away and just wait to be found out. Isn't that the worst feeling? Just wait. You know you messed up and you're just waiting to be found out. We don't have the heaviness of conviction, knowing we need to make some amends. When we confess, we are not like Saul. We don't have to be tormented the rest of our days. We are, ref- we are free to receive this kind of forgiveness. When I was in college, I took a class from a guy named Phil Frazier at Bethlehem University. Anyone else have Phil Frazier for a class? Okay. Loved him. Great guy. Maybe you remember this, too. Um, it was a family communications class, and he said, the nine most important words that you ever need to remember for any relationship are as follows. I'm sorry, I was wrong, and will you forgive me? Important, right? I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? And my husband's in here, and he can testify that those words are really hard for me to say. Um, I don't know if anyone else can testify about that, but it's hard. It's hard to say I'm sorry. It's hard to admit we're wrong. Um, but asking for forgiveness is really just that, that key to opening the door of true liberation. Uh, I love this text from Richard Foster. He says this, Without the cross, the discipline of confession would only be psychologically therapeutic. But it is so much more. It involves an objective change in our relationship with God and a subjective change in us. It is a means of healing and transforming the inner spirit. Okay, so I, I was sharing this with our directors, or our, our little meeting for the group to, that's speaking today, and they were like, can you just unpack that a little bit? And I will, because it's so important. The objective part, the fact that Jesus died on the cross, actually means that we, when we confess to him, 
Those sins are gone. They've, they have disappeared as far as the east is from the west. They are no more. That's, that's the objective part of our sin. They're gone. The subjective part is the relief that we feel. And we know we don't have to carry that around anymore. Right? It's, it's a good thing. So kids, since you're in the service, if you're visiting, normally the kids are not here with us. In fact, kids' church will start next week. But you're here, so I'm going to explain it this way. You know when you mess How many of you have messed up? Come on. Yeah, fess up. All of us have. So when you mess up really bad and you tell your parents you're sorry and they say they forgive you, that feels good, right? But doesn't it feel really awesome if they never bring it up again? Isn't that a great feeling? That's the kind of forgiveness that true confession brings. It's a a good thing that God offers that to us. So as we close, I'm going to lead us through a prayer of confession. But let me just say one more thing. Um, We're going to work on our confession. I've been talking about our confession towards God. But I also want to share something that goes on in the Jewish Jewish tradition. And it's part of their uh, atonement services for the holy days of Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is their annual day of atonement. And during that time, they, they fast for 26 hours. And they go to synagogue, they pray prayers together, they repent of, of their intentional and unintentional sins towards God for the last year. But what is interesting, something that they do, and I just kind of learned this recently, is what they do the week before Yom Kippur. As they are preparing to go confess to God, they recognize the sins that they may have um, come across with, with other people in their lives. And so since they believe that God doesn't forgive this way, that that's human's job to reconcile this way, human to human, uh, they go to others, they go to colleagues, family members, friends, and say, listen, if I have offended you or hurt your feelings or sinned against you in any way in this past year, I want to get that out now, and I want your for- I'm asking your forgiveness. That's a, that's a pretty big deal. That's a pretty big thing. So I, I'm hoping that maybe we can learn from that tradition a little bit. So as we confess our sins to God, I just want to recognize that there might be some work that needs to take place outside of the Sunday morning service, that, that maybe there's a conversation that needs to be had. Maybe there's some confession Um, that that needs to take place beyond the walls of this morning. And I hope that you will do that. I hope that we will all do that together. So um, I'm going to pray. And as I pray, I'm just going to kind of go through some categories. They're certainly not inclusive of every kind of sin we could possibly commit against God or against others. Um, I'll give some space in between each category for us to just have some silence. um, And then I'll I'll keep going. Uh, So, Lord, thank you for the freedom that confession really does give us. Help us, like David, to um, be honest before you, to confess freely, and to know that when we receive your forgiveness, that it really is truly free. And you want us to live in that and operate in that and not just kind of keep carrying it around with us. So, Lord, we confess to the sin of pride. We know that we are really good at looking out for ourselves and our own needs and um, thinking that we're pretty great and thinking that we're better than others. And know that pride manifests itself in a lot of ways. So would you show us, Lord, ways in which we have been prideful? Lord, we confess to the sin of envy. Sometimes we are not happy for others. Sometimes we wish it was us. And um, would you help us to confess times that we've been envious and not rejoicing when others rejoice. We confess, Lord, to the sin of self-indulgence. We have a lot, and we continue to take a lot when others have little or none. Would you show us ways in which we have been indulgent with our time, our treasures, 
Lord, we confess to the sin of impurity. If there are ways that we have crossed lines that you have created to be kept, would you expose it? Would you help us to have right relationships between men and women um, in and outside of marriage? Would you help us to know when we're about to cross the line? Would you give us that warning? And Lord, we confess that we're not perfect. And would you show us ways in which we could be more pure? Lord, we confess to holding on to anger and frustration with people. If there are people that we need to acknowledge that we've messed up something in the relationship, would you press it on our hearts and feel that knock? Feel us, feel the nudge towards making things right with someone. Even if it's been a really long time since things um, went bad, would you just let us be bold and be strong and courageous and, and go do the hard thing and confess that we were wrong? Would you just bring to mind those people that we need to make make things right with? Lord, for all of our sins that are kind of beyond the scope of, of the ones that we've listed here, Lord, we are sorry. We've been wrong ask that you would forgive us. And we thank you for the, um, the way that scripture lets us know that when we ask for it, we can be confident that you've given it to us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Now if we could join together and read 1 John 1, 9, as we conclude this portion. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Amen. reasons I really like this Acts paradigm is the different phases flow into each other so nicely. Um, We start with worship and adoring God, which leads to our recognition of our guilt and insufficiency before him, which leads to confession. And when we confess and realize that he does forgive us and there is restoration with him, we can't help but overflow with thankfulness. And so I want to take a couple of minutes and meditate on thankfulness. Um, Uh, On the screen, we're going to start with Luke 17, uh, verses 11 through 19. On the way to Jerusalem, he, meaning Jesus, uh, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, he was met by ten, number ten, ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Just one. One of them turned back, praising God with a loud voice. 
And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, We're not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. One of the first things I want to point out about this passage, so we're, we're talking about this healing that Jesus performs, and some of you may, may be familiar with this passage. Um, Jesus does his healing of lepers. Um, first point, leprosy was bad. It was not something that you wanted to get. Um, the term is, it was kind of a general term. There's a disease today that's leprosy that's really bad, and you know, fingers fall off and stuff. It, it didn't necessarily mean it was that specific disease, but it, it was some kind of a skin condition and if you got it, you, you can read through Leviticus, um, and there's all kinds of laws about what to do if you suspect you have. You go to the priest and everything. Um, but if it's confirmed that you have this condition, you are socially basically ostracized. You're, you, you, you're unclean. Um, you can't go worship at the temple. So it has not only social uh, consequences but religious as well. Um, and oftentimes these lepers would, would end up having to band together because they'd be cast out of society and then have to go live in a colony. Um, yeah, amongst themselves. They were just left on their own. So th- they'd lost everything. The plight of a leper was, was not a good one. So these ten lepers come to Jesus. They hear that he's a, a healer, and they, they ask him to heal them, have mercy on us. And Jesus doesn't respond right then, but he sends them and says, go to the priest, and as they're, as they're going, so they've left Jesus, they're healed. And if you stop a minute and think of what, that, what they might have thought when that happened, I mean, their whole life has just been turned around. That They don't have this leprosy anymore. They're not excluded. They, they can go and make the required sacrifices, and then they're, they're clean. They can be restored back to their families. Um, they can worship again. Uh, they've basically been given their lives back. And nine of them get so maybe caught up in that, they just they run away. And only one recognizes, wow, look at what Jesus did. They, they recognize the source of this healing, and he comes back, and he rightly gives praise to God, thanking him for it. And uh, when I was working on this passage or this this message, this just came to me. Um, it's like, wow, that rather than beat on ourselves and berate us, you know, you don't be like the nine. That that guy got it. He saw that God had given him his whole life back. And I think a lot of us find ourselves in in that situation too. You know, we've just come out of the holidays, and um, hopefully you've had some time to, to get away and reflect on the many blessings that, that we have been given. Um, and we certainly have a lot of reasons to be thankful. Um, and when, when you start thinking about all the reasons you have to be thankful, it, it, it kind of blows your mind. Um, and when, when you step back, you, you realize to be thankful really it means to recognize the world as, as it really is. We get so caught up in our stuff, but we we've, don't realize everything is really a gift from God. And we're, we're pretty quick to take credit for ourselves. Uh, there's a quote that I really like that we're, we have up on here on the screen by a pastor named Tim Keller. He's a pastor uh, at a church in New York City. He's basically saying, you know, you kind of got to get over yourself a little bit <laughs> when you're being thankful. Uh, and he says, if you have money, power, and status today, and many of us could probably agree, um, it's due to the century and place in which you were born to your talents and capacities and health, none of which you earned. In short, all your resources are, in the end, the gift of God. You know, we, we tend to take too much credit ourselves and say, well, I worked hard for what I've got. And that's true. And, and Proverbs says we are supposed to be diligent and work hard. But if you were born in 10th century India um, into a low caste, it doesn't matter how hard you work. You're not going very far. 
you know, God has put all of us here at this specific time for a reason. Um, and it's, it's all from him. I could go, I can look back at my life and, and see different connections that have made or experience that I, experiences that I've had that have led me to the place where I am today, but I really didn't do much more than show up, honestly. Uh, God's been working everything out. So, you know, we, we, we beware lest we take too much credit for ourselves. And, that, and this is, you know, talking more of earthly things, you know, the money and status and power. Ultimately, we've been given our, not just our whole lives back, but our whole future. Um, you know, that salvation that's promised that gives us hope um, through Jesus, not just for today, but, but forever, to know that nothing that happens in this world can shake that. We've been given a lot. And so that's my challenge to, to myself and to you all is, is to live with that spirit of thankfulness, not just, to, not just today, but try to make that a part of your, your own personal prayer and your devotional time to sit back and say, yes, God, you have given me everything. And when we do that, it's, it's, you know, we, we can kind of get pretty tight-fisted sometimes and keep stuff to ourselves. But when we realize that we've been given so much, we can hold that much more loosely onto things and more easily flow into other people. And, and give back to other people. So as we go through this flow of acts, that's really where we're flowing into next. Once we, we realize what we've been given, we're thankful we can then flow into other people um, and come before God on behalf of other people. Uh, so I'll transition to Joel, who will take us through supplication. Okay, I get to wrap us up with supplication and that's a, honest with me. That's a big word, isn't it? It's kind of a scary word. It's one we typically see and hear in churches. Um, so I'll be honest with you. I uh, I googled supplication, <laughs> and I got definitions all the way from Wiki to Webster to the King James Dictionary. But to save you all that, I have put it into two words: ask Him. It's asking God. It's coming to God and re- requesting something of him. Now, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time teaching about how to ask, because if you're like me, asking probably isn't a real thing you need to learn about. But I would like to just quickly look at why supplications at the bottom. I don't think supplication, if you could throw that back up there, Mike, for me, I don't think supplication is there just because it makes a nice word called acts. I mean, you could have sacked or something like that. But I, that's not the reason. Yeah, I, I was thinking of different ones in my head, uh, but that was probably the best one to come up with. <laughs> I'd rather look at why I really believe, and I think you'll see it as, as I just kind of go through this next verse. It all comes to this point right now. Can you bring up Hebrews for me, Mike? This is from Hebrews 5, verse 7. In the days of his flesh, this is Jesus, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. You know, I don't think Jesus had to work much on his reverence, being right with God. He was there. That's a little bit different from us. So today, Jill led us through adoration. Do you remember singing, there is no other name mighty to save? We're adoring, we're worshiping a God who's much higher than us. Jennifer led us in confession. 
And Eric led us in thanking God. So I say that our hearts are ready to ask God. We are reverent at this time. We are right before God. You know, communion is a holy event. It's an opportunity for us to remember who Jesus is and what he did for us on the cross. And it's a wonderful opportunity to connect, to ask, to be with God. At Emmanuel Covenant, we have an open communion here. That means if you have Jesus Christ as your Savior, we welcome you as our family, as a family of God, to come and have communion with us. In 1 Corinthians 11.27, I want to read just a verse, and and, uh, this is also from the message, but I thought it really hit home in a a different way that I hadn't heard it before. It's from 11.27 and 28. It says, Anyone who eats the bread or drinks the cup of the master irreverently is like part of the crowd that jeered and spit on him at his death. Is that the kind of remembrance you want to be part of? Examine your motives. Test your heart. Come to this meal in holy awe. As a body, just a few moments ago, we went through a time of confession. We are there. Can you imagine with me, a couple thousand years ago, being invited to an upper room on a dark night, and we were sitting down with, maybe we got invited to sit with the disciples. Wouldn't that be cool? And uh, Jesus stood up. And said this. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, not only to his disciples, but to us, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper and he said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you not as individuals, but as a family. We are, as your children, a family. You are our father, our Abba, our dad. Lord, thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that we are in a a place where we can worship you freely. Lord, where we can, uh, in our our hearts and our minds, but also um, through our mouth out loud, confess to you, God. And Lord, that we can also be verbal with our thanksgiving. So, Father, we thank you for Jesus. And we thank you for communion, an opportunity for us to commune, to be in one, to connect, to ask, to speak to you, Jesus. So, Father, would you open our hearts, open our minds, open open who we are. Holy Spirit, fall on us that we may participate with you in this time of Holy Communion. Would you pray with me the Lord's Prayer? It's up on the screens. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
to invite those that are going to be serving communion to come forward. Uh, today we're going to do things a little differently. Uh, we're not going to have ushers to dismiss you for communion, but rather uh, when you are ready, uh, please come forward. Uh, this will be a great time to, to pray, to reflect. Uh, don't feel like you're in any kind of rush at all. Um, a lot of times people will take time to pray uh, at different corners around here or in your seat whatever that's totally fine and also in the back corner our prayer teams will be there as well so we invite you to do that